Welcome to Coconut Oil Stardust and Dope Vibes. I am your resident fairy godmother, Tamara Angela. And I had to look before I started recording this episode. This is actually the first episode of 2023. Um, We are on episode four of season five. Um, But this is the first recorded episode of 2023. So I'm happy to bring the podcast back in the new calendar year. It's usually, those of you who've been listening know, it's usually just me and my cup of tea and a topic. Um, We are going to start having some guests on this year, this season as well. Um, I wanted to bring just other really dope souls here on the podcast to chat and have conversation um to kind of pick their brains and um get into their areas of knowledge we're definitely gonna step some things up talking about mental health talking about health and wellness and healing um And having those chats and conversations with other practitioners. Um, So I wanted to just kind of put that out there because we are going to make some very small changes, some very small additions. But um, I think things that you guys who've been tuning in regularly, um, I think it's going to be stuff that y'all really like and appreciate. As always, please make sure you share the podcast. That is one of the biggest ways that you can let me know that um, you appreciate the knowledge and the information that is always being presented here and the efforts being put forth here. Don't hold on to this stuff for yourself. What I find, and I find it super interesting in current human nature is that things that have a little depth, um, things that are life-changing, people hold on to that for themselves. Like, they'll, they'll hold on to it and kind of covet it. But things that are really kind of superficial and fun, those things get shared very easily. Share, have this conversation. Like, if it's something here that resonated with you, Tweet it out, Um, type it out, like talk about it on your Facebook page and things like that. That's how we get the tide of conversation changing. It's like, hey, I heard this thing over here and it really resonated with me. Of course, give proper credit where you heard it from, but this resonated with me. I feel like I've I've been elevating and changing once I stepped into this arena. Like, start doing things like that. That's going to change the tide of our conversation. That's really what's going to help and uplift each other and um, bring us into a more renewed sense of community. So, today's topic, I wanted to um, kind of kick off and start talking, start these conversations talking about mental health. Um... 
I know that there are conversations out there being had, which is to me absolutely amazing. Um, I follow several, I'll call them colleagues, even though I haven't worked with them personally, um, but I follow several colleagues in mental health and clinical mental health and substance abuse. I follow several on social media. Um, several of them are black clinicians. Several are men. They're male. They are taking up space in um, in the realm of, of helping and assisting men with their mental health. Um, so these things are out there. I just encourage you if, and, and off the top of my head, I'm not naming them, um, but I encourage you just to do a search on Instagram. Um, there are lots of professionals. Um, one is named, um, I think, the Cognitive Quarter. Um, there is, I'll try to list them in, um, I'll try to list them in the information for the episode, but you can just easily, um, just type in mental health or black mental health, um, on Instagram. There are several that come up. There are several men who are really taking the, the reins, um, these men are coming together in these groups and they're talking and they're, they're gathering themselves and they're healing and the men have their own healing circles. So I'm very, very happy to see things like that. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to come to a session, what it's like to, um, you know, go to a session or even get started with mental health services. I wanted to kind of dial back the conversation a bit because um, one of the things that I see, and I'm just going to be honest, it gets quite frustrating um, because things go viral with misuse. Um, and like those kind of things are interesting to me because it shows so many people vibrating on such a low level. It's like when you look at this information, it's like this is so incorrect why are so many people gravitating towards this incorrect information um to the point where it's hard to change the narrative or discuss the actual way that things are supposed to go because people hold on so tightly to that misinformation because it speaks to a narrative for them it speaks to an agenda for them it speaks to something personally they don't want to hear what it actually is um, so I just wanted to kind of come, you know, come back to a, a little bit more of the beginning and talk about what it's like to even go to a session. Um, those of you who have worked with me, there's plenty of you I know that listen to the podcast, but maybe you've never done a one-on-one -on -one with me at all, or maybe you've just done readings and you haven't done the, um, more therapeutic side, which is like the one-on-one -on -one work and the shadow work that's more long-term. Um, I have to say first that even being open to seeing a therapist is a huge step. It's a huge step because um, the realm of therapy and things of that nature, it is... Um, still very stigmatized it's still like 
oh, what's wrong with you? Or people see it as something that you do. Um, I talked about this a long time ago. I said therapy and, and self-care, it's not for crisis. It's like it should be ongoing maintenance. Do you access things in the state of crisis? Of course. But is that how you should always do it? No. There's a space where you should be doing some things for maintenance so you're not always actively in that state of crisis, right? So there's so many things that are out here. You know, there are people like me who operate on the um, integration, the intersection of um, spirituality and mental health. Um, And then there are, you know, you've got your clinicians who are um, straight uh, mental health. And so there's, 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 uh, there's a little bit of everybody kind of out there helping and serving, right? Now I will say this, um, just a couple things. You have to make sure that you are aware of what you need. Number one, certain things, well, I won't say number one, this is just my first talking point. Many of the things I've seen, I've seen people who are out of the realm of what their expertise is, and they're just taking a, uh, an audience in speaking. So for instance, um, I've seen, here's a great example. I worked for a long time as a licensed clinical social worker, which licensed me to clinically provide mental health and substance abuse treatment to clients individually. I did individual therapy. I provided family therapy. I facilitated group therapy. Um, I've done everything from uh, working in youth group homes, uh, providing therapy to uh, working in a uh, Department of Juvenile Justice capacity, uh, doing court reports and having to sit in court and talk with judges, talk with probation officers um, about possible reunification for families if the family wanted that. Um, These were kids who were facing like real charges at like eight, nine, 10 years old. Um, I've, I've worked community integration, mental health with the chronically mentally ill for adults. Um, my favorite was working in the ER. It was never a dull moment, uh, doing assessments in the ER. Everything I've ever done is clinical, right? So I've only ever done things where i do uh, a a diagnosis. I provide a diagnosis um, and I provide treatment, ongoing therapy. That's all I've ever done. I've never um, done any of those other kind of social advocacy aspects. Um, And I've always worked a contract for the probably 95% of what I've done. It's always been contracts. So a company would, I would contract with the company for my services, provide the services, and then there was a fee paid. Um, And so there was a space where for me, my focus 
was um, psychotic disorders, personality disorders, uh, mood disorders, and uh, substance abuse. So my gamut was people who chronically cycled through things, um, through like mood issues and things like that, um, providing the proper diagnosis that would get them entrance into services because there's only certain diagnoses that will actually trigger uh, uh, um, services for you. And um, when I worked with kids, it was uh, ongoing behavioral stuff because it's very delicate when it comes to diagnosing kids with things, right? And so um, have I dealt with clients who had severe trauma? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Was I a trauma specialist? Was that my niche? Not at all. Not whatsoever. Um, have I taken continuing education courses? Because we, you know, with licenses and things like that, you had to take continuing education courses. I don't practice under a license anymore. I still take continuing education courses. Um, have I done classes and courses and things like that on, on trauma and things like um, the fallout from sexual abuse and all kinds of different abuse? Yes, sure have. But that's not my niche. And so when a client comes to me um, and says, hey, I have this thing going on. And even with me being able to do diagnostics, I'm like, oh, gosh, OK, here's this thing going on here. I don't take them on as a client doing doing therapy is not a catch all. It's not like a general practice where you just kind of do everything. It's not like when you go to the doctor and you have your um, your general practice doctor who kind of can do a once over and look at everything. All of us have a specific niche that we practice, right? My niche, even though I um, worked with people who were chronically depressed, severely depressed, severe depressive disorders, severe mood disorders, um, which included like, you know, bipolar one, bipolar two. Um, I was not a grief therapist. It's not my focus. I never went down the path of focusing on that. And so when people would come to me and need to focus on grief therapy, I would refer them out. It's not my thing. What I'm finding is and and um, one more you know point is that when we you know become therapists we have this underlying thing that says that you will do no harm to the client so that means that if they come to you and you can't properly serve them you're going to send them where they need to go that is especially a social work like clinical social work type idea because in clinical social work, we see the full scope of the person, which includes their whole um, ecosystem. We want to look at the, the person as a whole, which includes their job and their environment and just every single piece of them so we can see them in a very holistic approach. Every practice doesn't do that. 
Um, so you have licensed um, professional counselors. You have LMFTs, which is licensed marriage and family therapists. We don't all take the same uh, classes and we don't all have the same focus and approach. Yet each person, um, whether you're a clinical uh, social worker, whether you're a professional counselor, um, like LPC, or you're a marriage and family therapist, all of us can provide therapy. Right? Um, out of all of them, the only ones who can sign involuntary orders was someone like me who was a licensed clinical social worker. Um, there were nurses that could do it as well. Um, but out of the actual therapist, that's the only one that could sign an involuntary order. And per state, they call it different things. Here in Georgia, they call it a 1013. And if it was for substance abuse, it was a 2013. Um, and so I put that out there just so we gain the understanding in this conversation that with access to so much information, I think what's kind of going on is people are just kind of speaking across the board because now mental health is just, it's, it's on trend, right? And so what do you do on social media? You talk about the thing that's on trend. That's how you get seen is to talk about what everybody else is talking about. The problem is, is that we've ha we have too many conversation channels going on and I think it gets confusing for people to actually gain an understanding of what they actually need. And so what happens is um, we also, I'm going to say it, we have coaches who are out here and we're throwing that in the mix where people, are there times where you need like a basic life coach? Like, like you don't need to go that deep into therapy, of course, because life coaches are going to help to um, guide you in another direction, but life coaches. And I know when I have this conversation, there are many coaches who are like, Oh no, I never try to be a therapist. There is a sector of coaches who don't try to be a therapist. And there's a large sector of coaches who do. They, they dibble and dabble. And um, that's where it starts to get detrimental. Because then what, what happens is we have a host of people who are talking about things incorrectly. Or they're creating their own theories. Um, they're creating their own ideas on things. And they're not sticking to principles of how things work. They're talking about what is on trend. Um, and that's what's bringing people to them versus them actually sharing truth and knowledge on things and saying, hey, this is how this goes. I think a large amount of us, um, <laughs> just for instance, using like the term narcissist and things like that, I think a large amount of us who are clinical just were over it. And it's like, eh, let, I mean, just let the people have what they want to have. If they want to tear that term up, let them tear it up. It's whatever. Um, but in turn, like I see a lot of people who are supposed to be therapists speaking to that as if the way that the Internet uses the term narcissist is correct. And it's not. And so there are therapists who are building whole platforms off of this incorrect information because this is what people are craving. This is what people want. That's problematic. 
because what happens is it skews mental health and how people approach mental health and it skews what happens. Um, it, it messes up the whole dynamic when somebody chooses to come for therapy. Um, what happens with me a lot, because like I say, I don't do, um, one-on-one therapy anymore. I've stepped away from that. That's not the route that I want to go. I don't work in that realm. Um, I am a medium who chose to work at one point as a clinical therapist. None of that stuff or that knowledge goes away. So it is definitely, um, there are therapeutic principles that are incorporated in the work. But if you want, I always tell my clients, hey, let me refer you out. You should actually see a therapist with me. (laughs) like along with me, it's the best thing. My clients who do that say that they get a lot out of that. And so um, I think it becomes difficult because what happens is people come to me and they're thinking that therapy is going to be cushy and easy and there won't be challenges and that I'm just going to sit and talk them through it. And I'm going to give you answers and they're going to get things that are tweetable. That's not how this works. It's actually interesting to me to see people like, Oh, I was in therapy and my therapist said, and then they blanket these statements. A lot of times I look at those posts and I'm like, first of all, a therapist, I hope a therapist didn't say that. That's your interpretation of what the therapist said, because that's not even clinical. A lot of those posts aren't like it's not the wording isn't even correct. And then the second part is people will it's like, oh, I learned this and now I'm enlightened or I'm healed because I went to therapy once or twice. And my therapist said this and it's like, boom, here's this moment I have to share for transparency. That's what your therapist told you. That was for you. That wasn't for everybody. That thing, therapy is individualized. It's highly individualized. So what they told you was in the context of a healthy um, service-based conversation that was made for you and your perspective. It's not made for everybody. Everybody wasn't supposed to take that medicine. That was for you. And so we have to be very careful there. You know, there are definitely times where you receive a message and it's like, oh, this is good. Um, And it can be teachable. But more often than not, the things that you're going to receive in therapy are highly personalized. Um, They may be aha moments, which are great, but they're not meant to be aha moments that are supposed to teach the masses. And what's happening is, um, I think, in this very do-it-yourself kind of, um, this do-it-yourself wellness, you know, thing that we're in, people are like gravitating towards anything. They're gravitating towards any kind of message and they're taking what they can and it's like, oh, this is healing. And I think a lot of it is doing more damage than good. You have to show up for um, therapy. You can't just like vicariously (laughs) have therapy through somebody um, because of proximity. 
That's not the way it works. There's there's work to be done there. And I can't tell you how many people come to me and want to do shadow work. And after about the second or third session, they're done. I usually do it in blocks of six weeks. Um, now, things happen. Sometimes people get into the work relationship and figure out uh, she's not the one for me. That's totally fine because the, the, the everybody doesn't gel. You know, um, but then I highly get people who are like, that wasn't what I was expecting. Oh, this happens all the time. And because sometimes at the end, the clients come back and say, you know, in the beginning, that wasn't what I was expecting. I said, well, what were you expecting? And they're like, I don't know. And by the time we break it down, what they were expecting was a much more pleasant experience they wanted things to be smooth and they wanted to hash their whole life out they wanted to sit and talk to me for an hour um for about 45 minutes and in that last 15 minutes I unraveled their life for them and they move on happily ever after (laughs) when I phrase it like that they're like oh yeah that's totally unrealistic but when it's going on in their head it sounds like the most sane thing ever Because they want to get the discomfort over with. The reality is when you come for therapy, we have to build a, we have to do what we call building rapport. We have to even build a relationship so you feel vulnerable enough to talk to me or to even listen to what I'm offering. Because sometimes I'm going to challenge your beliefs and I'm going to present some other things to you. And so you have to even trust me to to where I'm guiding that doesn't happen in the first session it typically doesn't even happen until about the third or fourth so this is the reason why I do things in blocks of six weeks so you don't feel tied in um but you also don't feel like you can just you should just leave at any time it's like hey can you commit to these six weeks So we can work through some things. We have to peel back an onion. You don't get straight to the core on the first peel. Takes a minute. Takes a little time. It takes you wanting to work. You know? It takes you wanting to work. It takes you wanting to apply things. One of the things that used to um, be difficult Um. The one time that I, I wasn't working contract, I was actually working for the state and uh, for the for the mental health service board. And um, we used to have a there was a, uh, a drug court that was attached to us and people would come through the assessment team and. uh they would they would be court ordered for therapy. And so they would come in to do their assessment so I could transfer their paperwork over and they would come with family and the family would be like, yeah, they got to do it. And the family would be like forcing them. And the person would be like, uh-huh. And then wouldn't sign any paperwork. And the family's like, what you doing? You got to sign it. They're like, I don't want to do it. And then they would look at me, the family would be like, they have to sign or else they're going to go to jail. And they don't have to sign anything. If they're cho- they have a choice. If they don't want to do this and they don't want to be invested, then they have to take the consequence for it. Well, is there anything you can force them? to? There is not. 
there's not. And the reality of it is if they don't feel, if they don't have a vested interest in showing up, they're not going to show up and they're not going to finish the program. And so what I've started doing, you know, I have my regulars who, who come and they've been coming for years for stuff off and on. They don't stay in something continuously. It's like, oh, you have this program. I'm going to tap into that. Them, I don't really ask them, but the new people who are coming for stuff, I'm like, what is your why? Why are you here? What do you want to accomplish? What are you envisioning? Because sometimes, like I said, people just want to feel good for a moment. It's like, oh, I'm in this crunchy, uncomfortable period and I don't want to feel like that anymore. And if they feel a little light in that first session, they won't come back. If they, you know, if they piece some things together in that first section, that first session, and then that second session, it feels like, oh, I got enlightened with the breakthrough. They won't come back for the third. But then what happens is they don't build the ongoing skills that they need to maintain and to deal with stress. And so then every time they come back, they're in turmoil or they're in a crisis because they never learned the skills that they need for crisis or the skills that they need for stress because stress is going to come. It's life. So things that I kind of encourage you to do on this journey, um, it's helpful to know, okay, I had like my homegirl went through therapy or you know, my homeboy went through therapy, my cousin went through therapy or whatever. Those things are super helpful to know um, because it, it helps you to feel like, okay, I'm not totally alone on this. Um, you know, th- there's help, there's um, support, you know, those things like that. Um, but know that when you step into the realms of seeing a practitioner, that that is your own individual journey. Nobody else is supposed to go on that journey with you. Even if you're doing, let's say, couples counseling, there should be a component of of that in there somewhere where that therapist sits down with each of you one-on-one because those two people should be whole in a unit. And so there should be time spent with each of you you know, in a one-on-one space. Therapy is highly individualized. Um, It's not full of aha moments and tweetable moments. It's just, it's not. There is deep digging. Um, There's a lot of realization, but sometimes it takes you a while to process what you even received. So it's not going to, you're not going to always walk out and feel like, well, wrap that one up. I was successful at that. I'm on top of that. Like, you're not going to always feel like that. It takes time. It takes time to work the process. Um, know who your practitioner is and what their area of expertise is. Everybody, if you have somebody who does a catch all, go somewhere else. Even your spiritual practitioners and things like that. Like I tell people all the time, I'm not necessarily doing root work. Can't Do I know how to do root work? Do I do root work for myself? 
Um, do I do stuff for people occasionally? Yes, but that's not my, that's not my niche. That's not my cup of tea. Um, I'm going to do these set things over here because this is what I'm called to do. Same thing with your, your clinician, with your therapist. They shouldn't just be like a, a catch-all. Your, your general practitioner, when you go see the doctor, your general practitioner isn't going to do an operation on your foot. Do they understand something's going wrong with your foot? Yeah, but this isn't like the 1800s where a doctor was a doctor and they also like they're a doctor and they're also a veterinarian because they understand like a little bit of surgery. Like that's not how this works. Everybody has a niche and a space where they practice. Ask, what is it that you practice? What do you look at? Um, you know, when I practice clinically, I never really operated from cognitive behavioral therapy. It just, it wasn't my thing. I always did DBT, dialectical, I always say it wrong, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is really um, mindset and mindfulness. That's always the practice that I came from. I'm not going to sit with you um, and dig into your childhood and sit and talk for hours and hours and session upon session about what people did to you in your childhood. Meanwhile, you haven't gotten anything right for today. Like you don't, you don't have any skills for you to do what you need to do for today. Cause you are so busy talking about other stuff. Like I, I'm not doing that. I'm doing certain things that are going to help reframe your mindset, which is some cognitive stuff, but I'm not living there. Are there people who need cognitive behavioral therapy? Yes. Does it work? Yes. Is that me? No. I'm not going to focus with you there. We're going to focus on the here and now. Do we need to, for me, yes, I need to understand the circumstances through which you've come because it's shaped who you are, but we can't fix any of that. You can't undo that. The way the way my mind works and the way I practice, you, I, we're not going back to when you ate. You're 35. If you're 35 still living with the wounds of an eight-year-old, let's work on the 35-year-old. That eight-year-old is gone. That's not her living inside of you. That's you at 35 being wounded and having been wounded since you were eight. And so we're going to talk to the 35-year-old so that 35-year-old continues to progress. We want the 35-year-old to progress because that's who's living now. The eight-year-old's not living now. Are there theories um, and things to support the fact that you can get emotionally stuck at an age? Yes. There, there are theories and dogma and, and things like that that talk about that. I practice from a mindfulness approach. If that doesn't work for you or if that's not what you need, you have to go to somebody who practices from an from an approach to what you need. And so you have to do your research. You have to talk to people. You have to figure out what's going on. To me, it, I, I say it's like finding a hairdresser. You don't just go plop down in anybody's chair. You're going to ask questions. Do you take care of the hair? Because um, there are certain hairdressers that will just straight up do you a style, but they don't take care of your hair. They don't nourish your hair. Your hair is not going to grow. They're just going to style you. 
right? And so you you have to ask those questions before you spend your money. You want to know what the experience is going to be before you spend your money. You would do that with a hairstylist. Do that with your therapist. Do that with your therapist. Ask questions. Um, see if they'll even do a consultation or something like that with you just so you guys can get a chance to talk and see if they're the right person for you, if they're the right practitioner for you. All of these things, um, I mean, we're going to have more extended conversation. This is just kind of a start to get us moving in the direction of the conversation that we're going to have. We're going to have, um, like I said, some practitioners come on, um, and talk with us, um, discuss some things coming up. Um, just like have more discussion about mental health and um, just in general, like where we're moving, where mental health and things like that are concerned, um, what it's starting to look like, what, what the scape, the landscape is starting to look like um, as far as accessing mental health services um, and just having general conversation um, that is going to help enlighten you, learn some tips, learn some skills, learn some things that are going to, um, just generally be helpful for you. So if this episode resonated with you, make sure to tag me when you share it. Let's talk, let's discuss, and please come back because we will continue conversation here on Coconut Oil Stardust and Dope Vibes. I am your resident fairy godmother, Tamara Angela.